Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. It can be found on page 650 of your Pew Bible. But first, will you pray with me? O Lord, your word truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. Send your Holy Spirit to light our way as we read your word today. Give us eyes to see all that you want us to see. Give us ears to hear all that you want us to hear. And give us hearts that might be transformed at the reading of your holy word. In your son's precious name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Thank you, Carol. Two weeks ago, I was in uh, Lubbock uh, as a part of a covenant group uh, as a part of ECO. They encourage pastors to join covenant groups. Uh, this group had about five guys in it. All of us are pastors in uh, West Texas who are part of ECO or in process of joining ECO. And in these covenant groups, the idea is to share a little bit about our ministry and to share prayer requests and to talk about what God is doing in the life of our congregation, to share best practices, and to share personally, too, our physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, and vocational health. Over dinner, we began to discuss uh, our term, how we came to where we were and God's call in our lives and how, we, how I went from a consultant to now becoming a pastor and how I came to First President Merlo. I told that story. It was interesting to me as we shared our stories, uh, I was shocked to hear or to learn that four out of the five of us, four out of five of us, while we were associate pastors, had one time worked for a senior minister who had had an affair. Four out of the five of us had worked for a senior minister who had an affair. All of, the, of us, of course, knew men who had to leave the ministry because of infidelity. Infidelity seems to be on the rise in our culture. A study from the University of Washington uh, recently learned that uh, men who are over 60 
there's an increased uh, chance, lifetime uh, rate of infidelity of 28%. So according to this study from the University of Washington, by the time a man is 60, there's a 28% chance he has been unfaithful. For a woman, the lifetime rate uh, for infidelity has gone from 5% in 1991 to 15%. 28%, 15%. What's going on? It's no wonder there's so many divorces in our culture today. Of course, infidelity in our culture should be no surprise, but in the church, in the church it should really bother us. As Christians, we should know better. After all, the seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery, right? But people do, and sadly many pastors have. Now, it's always unsettling me to, to me personally when I learn of another pastor who's uh, been unfaithful. Uh, it's, unfa- it's unsettling to me because I know the impact that it has on a church. I, I saw this take place in Houston. And I also know that these men know better. I mean, they've been to seminary, right? They know what the Bible says in both Greek, Hebrew, and English. There are no excuses. It's not because of lack of knowledge. They have made these choices. They don't lack information. They lack transformation. And don't we all? We may may not all wrestle with the sin of infidelity, but we all sin, don't we? We all fall short of God's desire for our lives. As the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, Paul writes, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We know what the law of God says, and yet often in our lives we fail to implement it, to live it out, don't we? I mean, we know that Jesus tells us that we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, but sometimes it's hard to love our neighbor. Sometimes our neighbors can be unkind to us. They can act rudely towards us. And so we judge them rather than love them and pray for them as Jesus instructs us to do. How can we make sure that we are being transformed into the image of Christ? Because it's clear from the church today, at least the church in the United States, states, we don't need any more information. What we really need is transformation. If information itself doesn't necessarily lead to transformation, then where does true transformation come from? Where does true transformation come from? To find out, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit again to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that by your spirit you inspired Paul to put pen to paper so that we might have your word today, your living word that guides us and leads us in all truth. Oh Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would guide us now that as we read your word you might give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts that would be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. It may be found on page 1239 of your pew Bible. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. Listen to the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here ends the reading of God's Word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now this list of sins, of course, is not intended to be exhaustive. That's why the Apostle Paul ends with, and things like these. John Stott astutely points out that these lists, this list of sins, can actually be divided into four basic categories, sex, religion, society, and drink. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All of these fall under the sex category, according to John Stott. In fact, the Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. We get the English word pornography from pornea. Pornea is often translated as fornication, which, as we know, is sex with anyone outside of marriage, anyone, sex with anyone other than one's spouse. Idolatry, sorcery. Of course, these fall under the religion category, according to John Stott. We're guilty of idolatry whenever we put anything above God. Tim Keller does a great job of defining what is an idol. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you, what only God can give. John Calvin once wrote in his Institutes of the Christian Religion that the human heart is an idol factory. Left to our own, we tend to to make idols. We tend to pursue things other than God, don't we? Whether it's money, stuff, relationships, prestige, or power, we can often look to other things to give us what only God can give us. In our human world, in our uh, tangible earth, we, we, we feel this desire to pursue the things of this earth. Rather than the creator, we often pursue the creation, seeking to let them satisfy the longings that only God can truly fill. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These all fall into the society category, according to John Stott. All of these behaviors disrupt our peace, do they not? They disrupt the peace of society. In fact, I would argue that every every work of the flesh ultimately disrupts our peace. If we're sexually immoral, that will disrupt our peace, certainly disrupt our marriages. If we are seeking after idols, that will disrupt our peace, our shalom that we have with God as we pursue things other than God. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all of these things ultimately disrupt our peace. If we pursue the things of this world, the idols of this world, we'll never find peace because these things cannot bring us peace. All of the works of the flesh 
destroy our peace, do they not? Drunkenness, orgies. These fall into the category of drink, according to uh, uh, John Stott. In fact, the Greek, the Greek word for orgies here can also be translated as revelries, wild parties. What Paul has in mind here is what he warns the church in Ephesus to make sure that they avoid. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, when he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Drunkenness leads to debauchery. It leads to poor choices, bad decisions that ultimately have an impact on the lives of others. Now, notice in this, works, this list of the works of the flesh, there isn't a ranking. They're all works of the flesh. They're all bad. There's not one that's worse than another. But in our culture, particularly in the Christian culture of the United States, we can be quick to judge some sins more than other sins, can't we? You know, we make a big deal about sexual sin, we act like, but we act like envy, strife, jealousy are really no big deal. At least we don't condemn people for that. But in the epistle of James, James tells us the brother of Jesus, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Raise your hand if you've ever been envious, jealous. Anybody here? Am I the only? Okay. It looks like we're all lawbreakers, right? We're all lawbreakers. We all fall short of God's intention for his creation. The fact is that we all fall and succumb to works of the flesh from time to time. So how can we make sure that we avoid the works of the flesh and we bear the fruit of the Spirit where we're, we're continually loving and joyful and, and peaceful and kind, never envious, never grumbling? How can we be transformed exactly? I mean, we know what the law says, right? It's not just about information. The Jews had the law of Moses. They knew what the Bible said. Even Satan could quote the Bible to Jesus, right? He does this in the uh, wilderness. When Jesus is tempted after 40 days in the wilderness, Satan tries to quote the scriptures to Jesus. Knowledge, simply knowledge of the Bible is not enough, is it? We're going to need something more if we're going to be ultimately transformed into the image of Christ so that we bear the fruits of the Spirit, fruits that Paul lists for us this morning in our text of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If information itself doesn't necessarily lead to transformation, where does true transformation come from exactly? When I first moved to Dallas uh, after graduating from Trinity University, uh, I, uh, I, sorry, Charlie, I just remember to turn this on for you, sorry. As, when I first moved to Dallas uh, from uh, Trinity University in San Antonio, I was a consultant at Pricewaterhouse, and I was trying to find a new church home, and I was basically looking at the large churches that had a singles ministry. I wasn't married at the time, and I wanted to make friends, and so I thought I'd go to these large churches, and I went to this one church. I'll remain nameless for the purpose of this illustration, and uh, I went, and they told me, I knew they had a big singles ministry, so I showed up, and they said, oh, the singles class is on the second floor, so I go to the second floor, and and the people greeted me, and as I looked around the room, I noticed that I was the only 22-year-old. I was the only 20-year-old. In fact, I was pretty much the only one who was under 40 in that class. <laughs> I knew I was in the wrong class, but they were so nice to me, I just couldn't walk away. In fact, the, uh, the greeter of the class was very, uh, uh, he was pretty smart. He had me sit in the front row, so like if I walked out, it would have been very embarrassing to leave early. <laughs> so I'm sitting in this class, and this young woman who's very articulate, uh, or older woman spoke, stood up, and she began, of course, I'm 40 now, so I guess that's old, I don't know. But she got up, and she started giving this great lesson on the fruit of the spirits. And, and, and she got up there, and of course, she read our text, Galatians uh, 5, 22 to 23. She said, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, such things, there is no law. 
Then this nice, articulate woman who had clearly given many presentations before began to talk about patience. They were on patience. They were doing this uh, several-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. She talked about how patience is a virtue. She quoted 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, love is patient. And she mentioned how patient uh, God has been with us, and so we ought to be patient with each other. And she told some very funny stories about times she's been frustrated and it's been difficult for her to be patient. And it was a nice, nice lesson about patience. But she never mentioned the Spirit of God. And according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, patience and love and joy and all the fruits of the Spirit are a fruit of the Spirit. If we focus on the fruit without the Spirit, we'll never bear these things. Simply focusing on patience or any of the fruits of the Spirit, trying to be more patient or more loving or more joyful or more peaceful or more kind on our own is only going to lead to failure and frustration. If we really want to be transformed into the image of Christ, we're going to need the Spirit's help. We can't produce the fruits on our own. It's a work of the Spirit. Just like in the 12 steps, the first step in 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we have to admit that we're powerless, powerless to change ourselves. We need help. We're going to need God's help if we're going to be transformed. We need to pray and ask God to transform us from the inside out. The Jews had the law of Moses in the first century, but they didn't have the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who ultimately transforms us from the inside out. And we're going to need to sow to the Spirit. Or as Paul says in verse 25 of our text this morning, we will need to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People, has a wonderful chapter entitled, Training Versus Trying. In fact, this whole book is worth purchasing just for that one chapter, Training Versus Trying. It's a very good chapter. In it, John Ortberg writes the following. There's an immense difference between training and doing it to, to do something and trying to do something. For much of my life, when I heard these messages about following Jesus, I thought in terms of trying hard to be like Him. So after hearing, or preaching for that matter, a sermon on patience on Sunday, I would wake up Monday morning determined to be a more patient person. Have you ever tried hard to be patient with a three-year-old? I have, and it generally didn't work any better than it would by my trying harder to run a marathon for which I had not trained. I would end up exhausted and defeated. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. Spiritual disciplines are to life what calisthenics are to a game. Following Jesus simply means learning from Him how to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. If we'll read the Gospels closely, we'll notice that when Jesus invites the disciples to come and follow Him, He invites them to join Him on a journey of the spiritual disciplines, like solitude, prayer, meditation, service, fellowship. All of these disciplines Jesus used to help transform his disciples. Through the centuries, the church, the followers of Jesus in the church who have practiced these spiritual disciplines have naturally over time become more loving and more patient, more kind, more gentle. They've exhibited more self-control. But transformation, spiritual transformation takes time. I mean, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Plants don't grow overnight. It takes time to grow. 
But in our fast-paced world, we want transformation to happen right away, don't we? After all, I want to, if I want a hot lunch or a dinner, I take a frozen meal and I put it in my microwave, and in a minute and a half, I've got this great orange chicken dish. But spiritual transformation doesn't usually happen that quickly. Sure, God may change someone uh, dramatically like he did the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. But most of us will experience transformation that looks more like the Apostle Peter. If you'll remember, Peter was invited to follow Jesus, to come and follow him. And Peter got out of the boat and left everything to follow Jesus. And Peter was quick to confess that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter's the very same man who, while trying to walk on water, lost his faith and began to sink and drown, and Jesus had to save him. And Peter's the very same man who, who after saying, I would never, never deny you, Jesus, denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Yes, Peter, Peter was one who wrestled in his discipleship, and Jesus knew that Peter's discipleship was going to take time. Discipleship, transformation, takes time. Explaining the gradual nature of spiritual transformation and bearing fruits of the Spirit, Tim Keller points out that the fruit of the Spirit might be growing in a Christian's life, but they never realize it until a trouble or difficulty shows up. And they think, a couple of years ago, I would have never been so patient or self-controlled in this situation. Our training in the spiritual life helps prepare us for the tragedies and the challenges and the difficulties that this life will inevitably bring. Training versus trying. Training for the spiritual life by doing the disciplines that Jesus did, spending time alone with the Father in prayer and meditation and solitude and silence and serving our brothers and sisters, putting the needs of others before our own, the, the gift, of the spiritual discipline of submission. These things help train us and prepare us for the challenges that life will bring. But they take time. Spiritual transformation takes time. Training for marathon takes time. Training for the spiritual life takes time. That's why he calls it fruit of the Spirit. Plants don't grow overnight. Last spring, my daughters planted a, 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 a nice little vegetable garden in our backyard. They tilled the soil. They fertilized the soil. They planted the seeds and faithfully watered the garden every day. But nothing happened initially. In fact, it took weeks and weeks. In fact, it took over a month before we began to see a little bud of a plant begin to flourish. But eventually, as they continued to water these plants, this huge zucchini plant took over our backyard. And we had zucchini, I'm pretty sure, every meal this summer. It was amazing how much fruit it finally bore. But it was the hard work they had done of tilling the soil and fertilizing and watering and making sure that plant had sunshine every day. That is what eventually led to the fruit. Now, my daughters in their own couldn't make the seeds grow. Only God can make seeds grow, right? But they did all that they could to put these seeds that they had in the right environment, in the right setting, under the right conditions so that it could grow and produce fruit. Our faith, according to Jesus, is... A lot like a mustard seed, very small. But if we will take our faith and, and put it in the right environment, in the right context to nourish it through worship, like we're doing this morning, by reading God's Word each and every day, by spending time alone with God in prayer and in solitude, if we'll take the time to do the spiritual disciplines that Jesus has trained His disciples to do as you read through the Scriptures, as He encourages us and exhorts us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, if we'll do these things, and God will allow our faith to grow and give a great increase. 
for the kingdom of God. In John 3, Jesus describes the Spirit as being like the wind. He says, the wind blows, the wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Building off this biblical metaphor of the wind and the Spirit, uh, the Spirit being like the wind, John Ortberg uses an illustration from sailing to describe the role of the spiritual disciplines in the life of a disciple. He explains that a sailor cannot make the wind blow. The sailor can simply set his sails in the right direction so that it might catch the wind. He writes the following, If the wind doesn't blow, and sometimes it doesn't, we sit still in the water no matter how frantic we act. Our task is to do whatever enables us to catch the wind. Spiritual disciplines like prayer, meditation, solitude, silence, service, worship, and fellowship... Help us catch the wind of the Spirit. They help us hear what the Spirit is saying to us so that we might obey and follow. They help us hear the quiet promptings of the Spirit so that we can do the work of God's kingdom here on this earth today. Are we attuned to the promptings of the Spirit today? As I mentioned two weeks ago, I was in Lubbock to meet with some Presbyterian pastors. As I came home from this trip... I was tired. I'd had a lot of late, it was kind of a late night, uh, that first night, Monday night, and then we came home, and we kind of had an early morning, and so I came home, and the last thing I, I wanted, really what I wanted to do is I wanted to come home, I wanted to sit in front of the TV and just turn it on, have some mindless television just to rest and relax my brain. But as I walked by the playroom, I saw my son, uh, four-year-old John at the time, playing with some Legos, and I felt this strong prompting inside my spirit saying, Howard, I know you're tired. Get on the ground and play with your son, John. He hasn't seen you in two days. Now, my flesh was tired and didn't want to go do that. But the Spirit was prompting me to do so. And so I got on my hands and knees and I began to play Legos with John. And we had a great time. And hopefully in some way I made a memory for him. The fact is that if we're too busy in our days, if we're going from one task to the next, from one event to the next, we may not take the time we need to listen to what the Spirit is saying. If we don't take time each and every day to recalibrate our minds and our hearts by reading God's Word and meditating on His Word, not simply reading it to see what it says, but reading it to hear what God is saying to us this day. Because our God speaks. He speaks through His Word. Now, it's true that simple knowledge of the Bible is not enough. But the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible so if we want to really hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us, we need to read His Word, not with just the intent of simply seeing what it says so that we might know what it says, but so that we might hear what God is telling us to do today. We need to ask the Spirit to guide us in the reading of His Word. Church consultant and statistician Tom Rayner was burdened by the number of pastors that he knew who were failing and falling in their ministry because of infidelity. He interviewed countless numbers of these ministers, and he, he marks that the men that he talked to all confessed that before they had their affairs, they all said, I began neglecting my time in prayer and daily Bible reading. Tom Rader remarks then, I am reticent to make a blanket statement, but I have never met a person who was praying and reading his or her Bible daily that became involved in an affair. Prayer and time in the Word are intimacy with God that precludes inappropriate intimacy was someone of the opposite gender. Are we spending the time we need each and every day to listen to God speak to us through His Word? 
Willow Creek Church in Chicago, it's the third largest church in the United States, did a survey not only of their own congregation, but actually of a thousand churches, representing over 250,000 Christians. They asked them several questions, but the primary questions were two. They wanted to measure the spiritual health of the people who took their survey. And so, leaning on the two most important commandments according to Jesus that we find in Matthew 22, they asked people, have you grown more in love with God, and have you grown more in love with your neighbor in the last year? If you answered yes, then obviously you were spiritually growing, as as measured by those two most important commandments according to Jesus. Well, as they surveyed all these folks, 250,000 people, over 250,000 people, they found that everyone who said, yes, I've grown more in love with God, and yes, I've grown more in love with my, my neighbor, all of these people were faithful in practicing the spiritual disciplines. Specifically, they found that nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. The numbers say most churches are missing that mark because only one out of five congregants reflect on the scriptures every day. Are you one of the five? Are you one of the 20%? Or the one of the 80% who have a Bible and many copies of the Bible but rarely read it each day? Of course, when we read the Bible, we need to read it with an open heart willing to submit to whatever we hear God saying to us in it so that we might be transformed from the inside out. Now, as you know, I read through the Bible every, every year. Uh, if you read four chapters a day, you also can read through the Bible in a year. We've got some reading plans in the narthex in the back if you'd like one. And as I read through the Bible, what I do is I actually just underline the words or phrases that stand out to me. And as I read about three or four chapters a day, I'll underline those words or phrases and then I'll go back to them. And I'll ask God to speak to me on how I might apply His Word today. I'm going to give you a quick example. I'm I'm in Exodus right now. I'm a little behind. But I'm in Exodus, and I'm reading the story about the making of the tabernacle. You read the story of the tabernacle. It's kind of, it's pretty uh, detailed about, you know, how they're going to make this and that and and how they're going to make curtains. And in my mind, I'm thinking, we already have a sanctuary. I don't need to read about a tabernacle. How could I possibly apply this to my life today? But as I read it, I see that God is very careful to make sure that the people of God know that his place of worship is a special place. And as I read through this text, I see about the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, what is in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. And it's God's presence is supposed to be over that Ark of the Covenant. His presence is made known in his word. And so as I read his word, I have to think again in our lives, at the center of our lives, we have to have his word. We have to have his law. Yes, as we've been going through the journey of Galatians, Paul has said repeatedly to the Galatians, to these Gentile Christians in Galatia, that yes, they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to begin to seek to be justified by the law. They're justified by faith. But at no point does he ever say the law is no good. No, the law is good. But only by, led by the Spirit can we hope to fulfill it. And so we've got to sow to the Spirit by meditating on His Word, by praying with a surrendered heart, recognizing that apart from God, We can do nothing, and we need God to transform us from the inside out. Meditating on Scripture and willfully submitting to Scripture is a first step to transformation. But we also need to pray, and not just once, but throughout the day. 
As we hear quiet urgings from the Holy Spirit, we should measure those promptings with the Word of God to see if it's consistent with His Word because God is not going to, the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict His Word. Of course, we will only know if our promptings are contradicting the Word of God if we've read the Word of God, right? Yes, God's Word speaks to us clearly. And then throughout the day as we're praying, having running conversations with God, we'll hear the Spirit prompting us. We can measure if it's the Spirit by whether or not it's consistent with God's Word. For instance, if in the midst of the day we have an urge to lash out at someone who's been rude to us, we might just take a moment and pause and say, now, is that consistent with God's Word? Well, actually, in Proverbs 15, verse 1, we read that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So if someone says something mean to us, my initial reaction, knee-jerk, might be to say something harsh back. Or I can remember the promise of Proverbs 15, verse 1. I can offer a kind word to turn away wrath rather than a harsh word which stirs up anger. As we sow to the Spirit and meditate on God's Word each day with a humble attitude and a genuine desire to submit to its teachings, then we'll naturally begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Let's make no mistake about it. It's the Spirit who ultimately transforms us. So may we stop trying to be like Christ and start training to become like Christ by sowing to the Spirit and practicing the very spiritual disciplines that Jesus did while he was here on this earth that he teaches us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, like solitude and prayer. Jesus obviously meditated and memorized Scripture for he was able to thwart Satan's temptations with the Word of God. Acts of service, submission, worship, giving, fasting, and fellowship. We'll do these things. And we're led by the Spirit in doing them. Then we'll walk by the Spirit. It's the gospel of grace really changes everything. It even changes the way we walk. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. As we look at the life of Jesus, we can see that he was a man who spent a lot of time alone with you in prayer. And so, Lord, we know we need to do the same. And he taught us to pray, and he taught us how to how to live and how to love and how to serve. And so, God, I pray that we might take the time we need each and every day to meditate on your word, to memorize your word, so that your word might come speak to our hearts as we read in Psalm 119, that we might be guided by your word and transformed by your word as we surrender our hearts to your spirit, as we seek to submit to your words. And I pray, Lord, that as we read your word, then we might live our day in a constant conversation as Paul encourages us to be constant prayer and petition, and in those conversations, Lord, with you throughout the day, that your spirit might prompt us and speak to us to live according to your will, and that by your spirit we might have the courage to act when we hear your spirit prompting us to move. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We pray that by your spirit you would continue to guide us each and every day as we seek to become more and more like your son, as we train to become like your son. In your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.